0: Warning, this podcast contains mature themes from very immature people. Let let me start by just saying, Kate, it's been a very horny time. Mm -hmm. Near the beginning of quarantine, I had to buy some new, let's call them sexual aids. (laughs) Do we have to? (laughs) I guess not. No, I guess we don't have to. We could just call them vibrators like everybody else.
1: Nobody wants sexual AIDS, Lauren. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) nobody wants needle sharing AIDS either. I'm just saying.
0: (laughs) Okay. Near the beginning of quarantine, (laughs) I had to restock on some uh, vibrators and I noticed that they were in High demand, low supply.
1: Really? Like everything else, I guess. Yeah,
0: I, mean, I know. People people knew what they were getting into. So I recently, like, I went through a bunch of things in my nightstand drawer. <laughs> and I found a extremely slender vibrator that I had forgotten that I had.
1: Mm, yeah. You're yeah. not into penetration.
0: I'm not. I'm really not into penetration. Um, I've often wondered whether I have uh, vaginismus, Mm. just Fort Knox down there.
1: Gotta talk to your guy now.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah,
0: it's been a little while. (laughs) So I found this really slender thing and I was like, oh, I I remember you. I did, I did used to enjoy when, when you would enter my home and, (laughs) um, Kate, I I recently have been exploring penetration again.
1: Oh, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Broaden your horizons and I guess your pussy. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was like meeting an old friend who had gone away for a while.
1: Is the old friend your G-spot? It, it,
0: yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> let's Let's call her Gracie. Gracie. I like that. Gracie. Yeah. And and Gracie was, um, was happy to see me too. And it's, it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting few weeks of just rediscovering that aspect of my body.
1: The most historic reunification since Germany.
0: <laughs> I knew you would say something like that. You're so funny. Because <laughs> you know what I'm talking about this week. Because I know what you're talking <laughs> about later. Uh. By sex.
1: Welcome to Let's Get It On Film, the all things sex in film and TV podcast. We're your hosts, Kate and Lauren.
0: Hi, Kate.
1: Hi, Lauren.
0: I am so excited.
1: You always are.
0: I am because I love doing a podcast with you, you bitch. Me too. Yeah. Me too, you bitch. Yay! You fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and we've already talked uh, a bit about sort of the theme of this episode, which is self-loving. Self-loving.
1: We love ourselves.
0: Yeah. Oh, we love ourselves in a conjugal sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we we know ourselves in the biblical sense.
0: Ah, we... Pleasure ourselves in a sexual sense. <laughs> All
1: right, we're losing it a little bit. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we had something there for a minute. So masturbation. That's the word on everybody's lips. Cause it's quarantine and it's hard to have sex with people unless they're in your bubble and then that's a whole other thing but if you're alone like me it's a lot of masturbation yep you
1: know i think of that that uh (laughs) that thing that got memed from chappelle show that
0: modern problems
1: require modern solutions (laughs) (laughs) yeah and there are all kinds of modern solutions out there from sex toys that feel like they're eating you out to go and au naturel like I have to see if you can't, I don't know, get some feeling back in your <laughs> vagina.
0: <laughs> uh, I cannot imagine doing that. I, you're braver than any marine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for
1: acknowledging that. Yeah. It's actually worked out quite well. It didn't take that long. Really? mm mm-hmm. Yeah. No, a, a couple weeks of... Like cold turkey? No. Well, yeah, cold turkey from... Uh from toys, but not gold turkey from masturbation. Hell no. No, no, no.
0: I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's daunting. But uh, I suppose the rewards are, are, are worth it in the end. I'm I'm pleased for you. Thank you.
1: I'm pleased for me too. Mm. Probably all the men who are tasked with getting me off from here until I die Mm. are going to be pleased with me Mm -hmm, too. mm -hmm, mm
0: This (laughs) decision is going to pay big dividends. I hope so. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to talk about masturbation with you because that's 90% of our conversation already.
1: Yeah, we talk about it a lot anyway. We talk about it a lot.
0: We're very, <laughs> we're very open with each other. Um, <laughs> and I believe you go first. And I'm really excited about your offering because it's a show that we watch together.
1: Me too. So... Lauren, as you know, the show I brought for you this week is Queer as Folk, which spent many, many years at the top of the list of my favorite shows. Yay! I forced all of my college roommates to watch this incredibly, incredibly smutty show with me. Honestly, they liked it.
0: (laughs) I'm, I'm a better person for it. Oh, I think
1: I am, too. I, I learned the ways of the world through this show, um, which is why mm-hmm. I've got such a skewed perspective of the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's why I'm so fucked
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. Um, yeah. So, Lauren spoke is an American comedy-drama TV show that ran on Showtime from 2000 through 2005. Mm-hmm. It starred Gail Harold, Hal Sparks, Randy Harrison, and... As you might remember, Sharon Gless as the most enthusiastic P-Flag mom (gasps) in history.
0: Do people still know what P-Flag is? I don't know. P-Flag used to be a big thing, but now I feel like if you aren't cool, you're the, you're the odd one out, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So P-Flag was a support group, basically sort of a, a national support group called Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. It was for allies. To the lgbt community you were you were a very very lucky young gay kid in the late 90s and early 2000s if you had a p-flag mom because it meant they were very supportive of you
0: yeah because that was not the norm
1: correct mm-hmm. unfortunately
0: mm-hmm.
1: queer folk is this really great ensemble show and had a big cast and they were always running really really strong a b and c storylines that kept like all the characters involved it's also the single sluttiest show i have ever seen yeah like in my life i started watching this show way too young to be watching it i think i was like 14 or 15 when i started watching this show wow <laughs> i I've been watching this show so long that I used to go rent the DVDs from the movie rental store in my hometown, and they wouldn't rent them to me because I was under 18, and I had to go (laughs) tell my dad to rent them for me without telling him what the show was. (laughs) And my dad is, uh, blessedly incurious, so... So I could, I could send my, my middle-aged straight father to the DVD store to rent Queer as Folk for me and he didn't care and didn't want to know and wasn't interested and maybe the whole town thinks he's gay now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yay. laughs> so this show, as you'll recall, features so, 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 much sex.
0: Like yeah. so much sex. Yeah. I think this show introduced me to sex acts that I did not know were a thing before.
1: Oh, for sure. I don't think I knew what a rim job was until I saw this show. And there is one in the pilot. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much sex. I can't even think of anything except, like, there's gang bangs, there's hand jobs and blow jobs and, and, like, everything. Everything is in this show.
1: In public, in private, in groups. Gay sex, lesbian sex, straight sex. Yeah. <laughs> like, everywhere, all the time, many times per episode. Like, I know I was talking about Versailles mm-hmm. in our last episode, and I said, you know, the Tudors walked so Versailles could run, but Queer as Folk has been flying since before <laughs> either of those shows started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the main characters haunt this fictional gay paradise of a neighborhood in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, which is hilarious because Mm -hmm. pittsburgh is not like this um but it's a street called liberty avenue which is supposed to be like you know the castro or west hollywood or any Mm -hmm. of those like gay paradise neighborhoods which there probably is not one in pittsburgh if i had to venture a
0: guess actually i don't know let me ask my friend is there a gay part of pittsburgh because he used to live there let me ask him Mm -hmm. real quick please do
1: I would not say that there are not, like, gay bars in Pittsburgh, but it's it's fashioned after a neighborhood in Toronto where they filmed, oh, I believe. Oh, yes.
0: Is there a gay part of Pittsburgh? Oh, okay. He says not one neighborhood, no. Interesting. Mm, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so gay bars, but not a gay neighborhood, probably.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the
1: gist. So, Liberty Avenue is populated with these incredible bars that are called things like... Manhole and Meat Hook which <laughs> I forgot about manhole. is all sort of it's sort of a sort of a running gag in the show is just the the ridiculous names of these bars that they frequent. Um but mostly they hang out at this one dance club that's called Babylon, which has a huge back room where everybody like fucks in groups in public all the time. It's a very regular thing in the show for them to be dancing and then for somebody to just drag someone to the back room for a blowjob or whatever.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And the main romantic arc of the show is between Brian Kinney, an extremely egotistical sex machine slash ad executive who's very Mm -hmm. independent and never fucks the same guy twice, and Mm -hmm. Justin Taylor, a clingy, blonde, twink artist who uh, takes a shine to Brian and refuses to let him go. So Mm -hmm. Justin becomes this exception in Brian's life and they're sort of a couple and sort of not while having an open relationship for most of the five seasons. The Mm -hmm. kicker is, of course, that when the show starts, Brian is 29 and Justin is 17. So the relationship is a terrible, terrible, unethical idea. Yep. It's not okay. I was
0: hoping we would talk (laughs) about this.
1: Yeah, it's it's not okay at all. It's really bad. And they kind of excuse it a lot with jokes in this particular episode, somebody says something like, well, emotionally, he's 12 years your senior. <laughs> yeah. So they, they do a lot of excusing it, but it's not OK and it's not healthy. Yeah. It is, however, an improvement over the British version.
0: Oh, right. Wherein
1: the Justin character is 15 and not 17. So it's a little bit better, but it's not a show that would get made today, probably. Or if it were to get made, it would be portrayed as abuse and not as romance, I think. Yeah,
0: there is something to be said that it's uh, a bit more realistic, especially for the time that like the gay age gap is supposedly a thing, but eh, there's age gaps and then there's underage. So, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was that idea of like there were not a lot of out gay kids, so for Mm -hmm. teenagers to find people to have romantic relationships with they had to venture outside their age group and there was kind of that like you know master student thing that had to happen and if they wanted to learn if they wanted to learn the ways of the world they had to basically sneak into bars and meet older people
0: yeah so that was a thing and it
1: was a cultural thing and it was a context thing Mm -hmm. and it did happen and to a certain extent I think probably people tried to observe the campsite rule, which is the, you know, leave it better than you found it rule for relationships with big age gaps. But not (laughs) always, because people are abusive.
0: (laughs) Do you remember when you first used that quote with me? I do not. You said, um, well, you have to follow the campsite rule. And I went, take only pictures, leave only footprints.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
0: <laughs> and I was like, that's the opposite
1: <laughs> That's the other campsite rule.
0: That's the other campsite rule. <laughs> um, so, yes, a-
1: acknowledging that none of that mm-hmm. is okay, mm-hmm. but it does create this really interesting dynamic where these two characters make each other better over time. Brian teaches Justin the ways of the world, makes him more independent and more confident. And Mm -hmm. Justin makes Brian more sensitive and kind of knocks him off his high horse a lot because he's such an egomaniacal (laughs) asshole most of the time. Yeah, And part of that process comes over the last few episodes of the first season um, when Justin has kind of come into his own. He's won the King of Babylon contest at the club they go to and kind of usurps Brian's position as the hottest guy in town. Um, and makes him feel over the hill Makes a, kind of a couple mm-hmm. cracks about his age As a 29 <laughs> year old Kill me <mate>. um, <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. for the record When I started watching this show I was younger than Justin And now I am Brian's age That hurts me yeah. I realized that last night
0: Oh god I'm just realizing that Oh no Yeah so
1: it's happened Time marches on And then the cherry on top comes in the last episode of season one when he turns 30. His friends literally have to drag him out of bed and they throw him a brutally mean funeral themed 30th birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And then and then his teenage not boyfriend asks him to be his prom date.
0: Right, right, right
1: so he does what any rational person would do. He buys himself a very expensive white silk scarf and decides to dramatically dry his hand at autoerotic asphyxiation and or a comically half-assed suicide attempt.
0: Okay, I think I forgot this scene. (laughs) (laughs) I think I forgot this scene. And maybe... Uh, it's because the scarf takes on other connotations at some point in this episode.
1: It does. The scarf is great. It plays a hand in both this very darkly comedic moment, but also a very darkly dramatic moment at the end of the episode yeah. and going into the next season. Also, um, this scarf does some work in the <laughs> show. Uh, I was rewatching this episode last night with my roommate, you know, mm-hmm. and she goes, mm, "Get you a scarf that does both." <laughs> so,
0: <yeah>. God damn! <laughs> it's
1: like, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's that scarf carries comedy and drama.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's incredible.
1: <laughs> so. I'm going to send you the scene to watch.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So a lot there.
1: A lot there. Allow me to set the scene. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) This one has a lot of buildup to the actual masturbating. And I love it because Brian romances himself a little bit. And Mm. I think we should all indulge in that more. That's absolutely my style. And I love seeing it on TV. Um, So first of all, he gets this scarf wrapped up in a gift box with a bow, so he can <laughs> open it like a gift, even though he bought it.
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot he bought it for himself. So that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So he he bought it for himself as a thirtieth birthday gift, and then opens it like a gift. Mm-hmm. He lays out on his living room floor. He smokes a little bit of weed. He has a drink by candlelight. Mm-hmm. So he opens the scarf and he starts rubbing it on his face and his naked chest just to enjoy how it feels because it's beautiful and white and silky. Mm. Then he starts playing. He throws the scarf up onto the beams in his ceiling of this beautiful loft apartment that he has and lets it fall back down and pool on his face and chest. Um, It looks like it's supposed to be alluding to him getting a facial. (laughs) Because... Because the scarf is silky and white. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it looks like he's no, just taking, like, yeah. ropes of cum on his face and chest over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's the sort of choice they make in this show a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty. It's really nice to look at. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. He just kind of plays around and has fun by himself for a bit. And then he inhales something, looks like poppers, but it's a little unclear what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian does a lot of party drugs in this show, so could have been coke, could have been whatever else he's snorting. And then he climbs up on a stool, ties the scarf around his neck, and he jacks off.
0: <laughs> yep. At a, at a pretty interesting pace, I thought. Like, he's not being leisurely. He's really jacking it. He is.
1: And this whole thing is cut back and forth, which you didn't see in this clip I sent you. Mm-hmm. But it's cut back and forth from a going away party for his best friend, Michael, who's moving to Portland with his boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of kind of gives a little weight to the drama and the suicidiness of it all. Like it's going to be Brian's big farewell too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they make some interesting choices with the scene, I thought. Once yeah. Brian gets high, things kind of go in and out of blurriness. So you're getting a little bit of his perspective. Once he starts actually jacking off, once he gets through romancing himself, you see him from behind and his pants are kind of down around the bottom of his ass and mm-hmm. his ass is lit blue which i think is maybe a nod to the fact that he's asphyxiating himself maybe not Mm. the lighting is the lighting is like that in his apartment because there are blue light fixtures but it's usually backlighting and not like on his skin
0: right because they like to
1: make him look kind of tan and sexy all the time yeah and this is very much not that so could be intentional could not be and then we get these really great close-ups on his face when he, once he starts actually jacking off.
0: Yeah. And they kind
1: of cut between these close-ups on his face, experiencing pleasure, and then down to his hand and his pants where he's jacking off with that horrible puka shell bracelet that he wears since <laughs> the year 2000. <laughs> yeah. But man, this guy, he's got a great face and a mm. lush mouth. He is 100% my favorite TV kisser of all time because of that mouth. So I enjoy watching this a lot. Gail Harold, if you're out there listening, <laughs> come to Mama. I
0: know,
1: I know you're deeply middle-aged now, but I'd still
0: hit it. <laughs> <laughs> you really, what, what a compliment. Um, you're really uh, selling it. <laughs> and
1: he's so hot. This, he's yeah. exactly my type. Yeah. And so Brian is up on the stool, hanging himself and jacking off. And just as he gets close, Michael walks in, sees what he's doing, runs over, frantically unties him and kind of tackles him down because he thinks he's killing himself either intentionally or otherwise. Yeah. And then you get this great shot of Brian laid out face down with his pants half down his ass. And he just starts (laughs) laughing frustratedly. (laughs) And it's a nice butt.
0: God, he's got a good butt.
1: Really good butt. (laughs) Oh. And then uh, he gets in this little best friends bitch fight with Michael, which they do a lot. Where they're like, what the fuck were you doing? What the fuck are you doing? You know, that kind of thing. They argue while Brian tries to peel himself up off the floor and tuck everything back into his pants gracefully, which I think is choreographed quite nicely.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you'd think it would be awkward, but nothing's awkward with Brian Kinney.
1: (laughs) No, he's so graceful. And he says to Michael, I'm giving myself a very special gift, the greatest fucking orgasm of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because Michael's sort of semi-responsible, he says, Try the last fucking orgasm of your life. Yeah. You know, Michael shouts at him for putting himself in danger. You kind of yeah. learn that Brian is immature and delusional because he thinks that if he dies like that, it would be fine, because he'd be going out in a blaze of glory like James Dean or Kurt Cobain. I'm embarrassed for him for saying I that, Lauren.
0: Know. I know. I'm just like, no, you're the, you're the blip on the news. That's like some dude was found with a giant boner. It's a sex kills everybody. Mm-hmm. That's
1: exactly what I was thinking. That I guess this was before David Carradine died like that. So there <laughs> oh, wasn't a direct, no. there wasn't a direct comparison for him. So he still thought yeah. he'd be a James Dean, but really he'd be a Carradine.
0: <laughs> oh no. That works so perfectly.
1: I know, right? I just came up oh, with no. that. Oh
0: no. <laughs> um god. Yeah. No, it's that's so pathetic.
1: I know. Um and of course Brian says it's none of Michael's business and then Michael delivers one of my favorite lines from the whole series. Mm-hmm. It's my business because I'm the one who'll get the call that the goddamn cleaning lady found you hanging from the rafters with a fucking boner.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because and it reveals the very sad fact that Brian doesn't have that many people that care about him. Well, he
1: does, but he doesn't let them in. He's a he's a crunchy outer shell man, which is Yeah. Why we all like him so much because you know he's got a soft gooey center.
0: <laughs> <laughs> This is an interesting scene. I definitely did not remember it, but I did remember that you'll always be young. You'll always be beautiful. You're Brian Kinney. But mm-hmm. somehow I'd forgotten about the the whole send off <laughs> he was giving himself before that. Um, but honestly, the, the thing that I like the most about this scene is just this one little breathy moan that Brian gives. He only has one breathy moan and it like suddenly overtakes the the soundtrack and it's beautifully like beautifully deployed Nat sound and it works perfectly in my opinion hmm. are you gonna are you gonna talk about this soundtrack because it's very fun
1: i yeah let's stop and break it down then the stop scale one through five starting with mm-hmm. soundtrack mm-hmm. i'm gonna give it a three on this Mm. (laughs) the song is a pop club remix of the 1930 jazz song happy feet which is called happy feet high heels mix (laughs) (laughs) by jack hilton and his orchestra i had to do a lot of research to find that out because this is not something that like shazam could just tell me unfortunately (laughs) i love this song choice because it leans into the idea of brian being on a date with himself it's a nod to the old fashioned romance mixed with Brian's kind of stupid rave boy yeah, club aesthetic. <laughs> it's a, it's not a, it's not a super sexy jam, but I love the choice thematically.
0: Yeah. I really like this. I'm a big fan of like electro swing type, like um, tacos putting on the Ritz. You know that one?
1: <laughs> I do. Yep.
0: Yeah. Like I, I think that's just so fun. Uh, so I really enjoy this song. It's like, I would love this song on a playlist. So I hope you could find it on Spotify.
1: Uh, I looked and I didn't see it, but we'll Ah, see what we can do.
0: All right. We'll see
1: what we can do. If not, we at least know we can get this clip up on the website for everybody to watch it. You can hear it there, if nothing else.
0: Yeah. All right. That'll have to do for now.
1: Yeah. So that's soundtrack. Next is timing, which I'll give a four to. It's about four minutes from build up through Michael screaming at Brian. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's structured in such a way that you really feel that buildup. And Brian having fun and romancing himself also has the same effect on you. It builds a lot of anticipation for what he's doing um, mm-hmm. nicely. And then you're sort of right there with him when he starts jacking off and you're like yes finally and he's sort of jacking off as though he's like yes finally
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well tell me a bit about um how it's indoor cut in the show what is it being paired with you you mentioned a little bit but can you give me more specific
1: so there's a lot of tension at this party because it's um it's a going away party for michael who's moving to Portland with his boyfriend david and they've got a lot of tension building because michael's sort of his kept woman mm. and michael's getting increasingly upset about this and questioning his decision to move away so that's all happening at the party and then at the same time ted another one of their friends is uh confronting his boyfriend <laughs> blake who has uh relapsed and is mm-hmm. back on crystal meth
2: mm-hmm. so
1: that's happening at the party uh, and there's a lot of escalating tension at this party, which is also very comedically <laughs> themed for Portland. So they're all wearing flannel. It's called The Farewell in Flannel. Oh. Another one of their friends, Emmett, is running around spraying everybody with, like, pine-scented air freshener. This show does a really, a really good job of cutting together the comedy and the drama. Yeah. So that's, we're cutting back and forth between those escalating... Tense moments at the party and mm-hmm. brian being on a date with himself and it kind of you know there's the question of like oh where's brian <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're like oh you know fashionably late and it cuts back to brian hanging from the ceiling by a silk scarf
0: <laughs> okay yeah that that gives me more more insight into like how the time it because i i don't know like i i don't know that i could judge it based on how effectively it's using time without knowing how it's interspersed in the show you know.
1: Mm. Yeah, in the show, I, because Brian has always been my favorite character, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that when I'm at the party scenes, I'm kind of like, but how's Brian doing over there hanging from the rafters? <laughs> Every moment, just I just want to Brian. get back to naked Brian Kinney because he's yeah. my man.
0: Yeah, I understand.
1: But there's, there is good um, meaty stuff happening on the other side of it.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. So you give it a four. That's, that sounds good. Yeah. And so next is authenticity, which I'm going to give a two.
1: So here I feel the need to mention that cutting off your oxygen is a very, very dangerous thing to do. And you shouldn't Mm -hmm. do it ever recreationally. But if you're going to do it anyway, you need to definitely not do it alone.
0: (laughs) Definitely not alone. That was what I was going to say
1: so what he's doing is extremely dangerous and you shouldn't do it. And you really could kill yourself. Um, yeah. And you need someone around to help you if things go wrong. So that as Michael says, the cleaning lady doesn't find you hanging from the rafters with a boner. Yeah. So that knocks the authenticity way down for me. Cause it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea, especially if you're high, which Brian is. So that's even worse. However, okay. <laughs> all right. The mood, the mood of the scene feels very authentic. To me for many reasons. As you might recall, I turned 29 last week. So Mm -hmm. that's on my mind. And seeing somebody have a really funny dramatic meltdown about turning 30 uh struck me as very authentic. And then also the way he romances himself and uh and kind of give, you know, goes on a date with himself to to get in the mood. Um, that's how I like to treat myself. I like to have a little drink, a little music. So yeah. that knocks it back up, and I'm I'm going to give it a two, even though it's wildly irresponsible. Parts of it do strike me as emotionally
0: real. <laughs> yeah, I understand what you mean. I think there's the two sides of it, which is the romancing and the build up, and then the actual act that he's doing, which is yeah, like you say, totally irresponsible. Do not do anything uh, auto erotic asphyxiation related by yourself. Not safe. I agree with you. You know what it is? It reminds me of the Broad City clip.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Where Ilana takes this time to like romance herself. She makes a point of like lighting candles, putting on lipstick, putting down the family photos so it doesn't distract her. She's got a ritual. (laughs) Yeah. She's got a whole ritual. You, You get in the mood in your own way. For me, it's some Prince songs and you know, it, it's for everybody, whatever they want to do. So yeah, I agree. I think that's a, that's a good point. You have to have something that kind of gets you ready mentally. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. So what's next? Heat. Heat. I will give
1: this a three. I think this is super hot. Um, it's not the hottest thing in queer spoke by a mm-hmm. mile. Yeah. Um, but Brian Kenny was single handedly responsible for making me a horny bitch. Uh he's the cartographer yeah. of my love map, just because I was about <laughs> fourteen when I met Brian Kinney. <laughs> um, but he has uh way sluttier, way sexier scenes than this one. This is yeah. just peak, peak dramatic bitch, and I live for it. So that's why I wanted to do it. But um he heat is a three, even though anytime gail harold is on screen anywhere i'm panting for it except maybe that episode of Grey's anatomy where he plays a he does play a nazi emt he plays a nazi emt with a big old swastika tattooed on the stomach yeah 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 yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Uh, but uh very iconic in that role (laughs) but i do want to ask though i do want to ask i do want to ask uh if this exact scene shot the way it is with the same like everything was with any other character in Queer as Folk, would you find it nearly as sexy? No. God, no. no. So it's just because it's this character that it's so hot?
1: Oh, I think so. Okay. Okay. I mean, he's he's supposed to be the sexiest character in Queer as Folk. No doubt, no doubt about it. He's supposed to be basically the hottest guy in town who could fuck anyone he wanted at any time. He's got a beautiful face. He has a beautiful body. He spent a lot of time just being shirtless in jeans, which drives me wild. Mm. So he's just a really nice thing to look at. And he's kind of uh, displayed up there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. The focus of the scene is definitely on, on his attractiveness. So yeah. All right. That's fair to me. I just wanted to make the point that there's nothing about the scene itself. That's hot. It's just him.
1: Well, I don't know, because, uh, like, the pre pre erotic asphyxiation part, I think anyone having a romantic date with themselves would be kind of funny and kind of sexy.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. No,
1: that's fair. Um. All right, let's talk about the production value, which I'll also give a three. That's good. I like the camera work and stuff that they do while Brian's playing around and throwing the scarf, and you get kind of sort of, like, some bird's eye view of the scarf falling down on him and then they'll cut to the side and you'll see him sort of jumping and throwing. So you get these artful shots of him looking sexy. I like the blurred effects that they give around the edges. Once he gets Mm -hmm. high, it's a little, you know, late nineties, early nineties, but, um, it was, this was premium cable content at the time. It was top of its field (laughs) for the year that it was made. So, you know, I think that's all really good, but really more than the production value. I like the thematic layers that are at play here.
0: I think some of the framing is really interesting. I really, really am struck by how beautiful the framing is of this first shot of him with the box in the center of the frame in the forefront. Yeah. The the like drink and they're doing little time skips with these long fades in between. So it's really quite beautiful. You see some things in the background you know, of his lush apartment building. And yeah, I agree. Like the sort of slow-mo fading stuff that they play with during the the scarf uh, throwing, I I think is really interesting. Uh, Some of it is kind of what I would call obvious choices, (laughs) but it's really, it's working really well.
1: Yeah, to a certain extent, I think a lot of what the show does is obvious on purpose because the content is so edgy that they couldn't be edgy with everything or no one would watch it. That's that's my read on it, because um, there was nothing like this on TV at the time. Yeah. Will and Grace was pushing the boundaries for the time and this show has a rim job in the pilot so you know yeah. um, and it's funny that you mentioned that that first shot that we get of him laid out with the gift box and the bottle of booze and the candles um, because as I um, was deciding to do the scene in my mind, I had remembered that as him being in the bathtub and it oh. kind of gives that it kind of gives that impression because of the way the furniture is laid out and he's leaned up against it. And so when I was thinking back on it, I was like, oh, I think he has himself a sexy little candlelight bath, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it kind of gives
0: you that feeling anyway. Yeah. He's he's lounging. He's relaxing. He's languishing. There's a <laughs> lot happening in just this one moment. I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed with this in a way that I didn't really expect to be. Because it was, like you say, I don't remember it for being very visually stunning.
1: I love this show. This is, you know, easily in my top five shows of all time. So I love everything about it, and I'm totally biased, and I'm probably not giving (laughs) objective criticism of it, but... um, Who says we have to be objective? That's true. This is our fun times project, and we just talk about shit we like. So here I am saying I like... Brian Kinney.
0: (laughs) You're like, I'm just a girl standing in front of an early knots TV show, asking it to love her. (laughs) Um.
1: You know what? This show, this show did have some really good things to say, which I appreciate. I often think there's this one line where Brian is bitching at this other character, Melanie, who's a mm -hmm. lesbian friend of his about how he's being treated as a, as a gay man and something happened at work or something. I can't remember. And she lets him have it. And she says something like, Oh, please. You could hang a sign on your door that says blowjobs or 10 cents. And you would still have it better than any woman or person of color in this world. So I don't want to hear it. And every time there is a moment like that, you're like, Oh, the show is good.
0: Yeah. 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 It It knew, <laughs> it knew what it was talking about. Even then. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. That made me so fond. That <laughs> just that quote made me so fond for it.
1: I know. Mm. It is a good one. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> mine is going to be so tame in comparison. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Hit me with it. What'd you bring for me?
0: All right, Kate. So, I have uh, a scene from a 1998 film called pleasantville are you familiar i've
1: seen this one i'm familiar i haven't watched it in a long time it's one of those movies that used to play on cable a lot
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i knew that i had watched it but i genuinely couldn't really remember anything except like a few scenes so it was fun watching it again and especially fun for me because i have studied a lot more about the 90s and it's sort of media Uh, landscape and so that really informed my watch this time (laughs) so pleasantville is a film written and directed by gary ross you know him as the writer of big another sort of whimsical fantasy so the central characters are david who's played by toby mcguire and jennifer who's played by uh, reese witherspoon they are twin teenagers living in the 1990s suburbia of California. They, they've got a real California vibe, I think. Uh, actually, I don't know if they're actually living in California, but they have a vibe. <laughs> David, the son, is addicted to reruns of 1950s TV shows. And uh, his favorite program is called Pleasantville. So uh, a TV repairman comes and gives them a magical TV remote that sends them into the television back to Pleasantville. And uh oh, what wacky hijinks are they gonna get up to there? Well, it's not really that wacky. It's actually quite dark and sexual, but <laughs> but uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting premise for a fantasy sort of film. I am actually a, a fan of these like trapped in in little pocket dimension stories. I've been kind of fascinated with the film Vivarium. Did, do you know that one? That. No. Yeah. I've been kind of, I haven't watched it yet, but I've read everything about the making of it. This may not be in the podcast, but um, I'm really into these ideas of like, you're trapped in a very specific universe and there are rules for this universe. and What happens when they start to break? And that's hmm. really kind of played out in this in this film.
1: How do you feel about something like the Truman Show?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, a, a, a similar cousin to Pleasantville. Also 90s, right? Uh, yeah. And also a, a product of the time, talking about, quote unquote, reality TV.
1: Yes, very
0: much so. So I, I really, like I was saying, I really had not realized how much of a product of the 90s this film is. Um, it opens with the uh, main character flipping through innumerable channels. Uh, reflecting the change from the three major networks to this diversified programming. Then at school, David is given a montage of lectures that highlight the global changes that are occurring, such as talking about AIDS and talking about the climate crisis and the fact that there will be no more entry-level jobs available for nice young teenagers getting out of college.
1: Oh, no. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it really hammering home that like this is the first generation where they're worse off than their parents. You know, like this was a big turning point in the 80s and 90s is like this generation doesn't have the same future that the baby boomers had. And and there's also a decline in the family values, quote unquote family values <laughs> because David and Jennifer's parents are divorced and there's a scene of them that their mom bickering on the phone over shared custody with the dad with neither of them wanting the time with the kids. (laughs) It's about, you're supposed to take them now. I can't take them. You have to take them. So That doesn't sound damaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With this background, it's no wonder that the main character, David, escapes into the idyllic nostalgia of Pleasantville, where the dad comes home with the same catchphrase, honey, I'm home. And the mom always has dinner waiting and the two kids are there to talk about nice, socially acceptable things that happened at school. (laughs) But when David and Jennifer get sent into Pleasantville, into the TV world, the perfect machinations of this universe start to crumble. It's shown uh, early on with the basketball team that never misses a basket. (laughs) Literally, the balls are magnetized to go into the hoop as they learn about sexuality through jennifer's very open introduction they suddenly throw the throw all their balls and none of them get in (laughs) so uh as free will as i said sexuality and forbidden knowledge creep into this setting the world slowly turns from black and white into color it's mostly led as i said by jennifer also goes by Mary Sue in, in the TV land who introduces the concept of sex through Lover's Lane with a young Paul Walker. Oh. Yeah, I know. Even though Jennifer is the one kind of teaching the kids about sexuality, David, uh, a.k.a. Bud in this universe, can't really resist getting the people inspired through things like art and music and literature, even though he's trying his hardest to keep the town the same way it's always been because he's trying to fit in. There's just no way to stop this deluge of change that starts once these things are introduced to them. This is all to the dismay of the men in the town (laughs) who are led by the mayor, Big Bob, (laughs) who cling to the old ways and use fear-mongering to turn Pleasantville uh, citizens against what they call the unpleasant. This results in like book burnings and, and riots and all kinds of, the message is very heavy-handed in this film. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very obviously like saying repression of individuality. Gives way to political oppression and othering. Very heavy handed. That's the major criticism I saw of this movie. But the message itself, I think, is kind of interesting. It's sex positive, it's progressive, it's certainly still relevant. I mean, I was actually kind of impressed by the way what they were saying held up, even if they're kind of Talking about oppression in a movie with literally no people of color.
1: <laughs> and in black and white.
0: And um, in black and white.
1: No, no color and no people of color.
0: Um well no, that's the thing. There is there is color introduced, but yeah, like and right, they use yes. the term they used the term. Once um David's girlfriend uh has this awakening, they they call there's a scene where these two guys come over and say, Oh you're going to have you know a date with your colored girlfriend and it's Oof. like wow that's not your word <laughs> you can't do
1: that that is a lot it's interesting that they've got this character who's desperately seeking the the comfort and familiarity of the past but still can't help but cling to the positive progression of the future with things like arts and literature and whatever you said before that's that's good i like that
0: yeah yeah it's interesting they talk about huckleberry finn they talk about like picasso they talk about um even like buddy holly all these things that were there at the time so like the idea that it's it's not that he's bringing modern ideas back to the 1950s the idea in progress was already there it's just About allowing the progress to enter this space,
1: Uh, like he's bringing out contemporary things that are progressive, rather than like stuff from the future. You mean? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. It's it's not as if he comes in and starts blasting Nirvana. He's still playing (laughs) Buddy Holly. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, So this was a box office flop. Even though it's very technically impressive, which is something I'll, I'll talk about later, it earned ultimately uh, $40 million against a $60 million budget. Oof, that's bad. It's bad. And it got critical acclaim. It was nominated for three Oscars, uh, oh including one for Best Original Score. I don't believe it won any, but it was nominated. But yeah, for a flop, I mean, it... it sank hard i was gonna ask where
1: in reese witherspoon's career this felt this was one of her first few movies right
0: oh yeah it was early uh, she was pretty young um in 1998 witherspoon had major roles in three films overnight delivery pleasantville and twilight not that twilight another <laughs> twilight <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this was uh at the very beginning of her piece. And man,
1: has she been peaked for a long time.
0: She's done all right for herself, that Reese. <laughs> uh, so, the scene itself actually does feature Reese Witherspoon pretty prominently. It is a conversation that happens actually kind of early in the film, I'd say before the midpoint, where Reese Witherspoon and the TV mother, who is played by Joan Allen have this conversation as they're doing dishes. And it's quite a funny reversal because the mother is asking the daughter how sex works. Oh boy. Yeah. And the daughter gives this very interesting sort of answer that starts, when two people love each other, (laughs) which is hilarious because it's not about love when she does it, uh, No value judgment there. It's just not the way that she does it. Um, She goes into this long explanation and we we know this through a cutaway where uh, we we go back to the two of them sitting at a table looking quite somber and the mother says that your father would never do anything like that. And uh, it makes her sad. Like she clearly wants to experience this new idea to which Mary Sue replies. Well, you know, Mom, there are other ways to enjoy yourself without Dad. And that's where the scene begins. So let me send this to you.
1: Please do. Oh, Lauren.
0: Yes.
1: That was nice.
0: Right? (laughs) Uh, Okay. So from this smirking Reese Witherspoon face, we get a sudden cut to the faucet of the bathtub turning on, which is just great. I mean, if there's anything that highlights what's about to come, that that faucet with suddenly the running water gushing out. uh, so great. <laughs> so while the dad, who is played by William H. Macy, who I forgot I forgot to name drop earlier, uh, he, he drinks a glass of cold milk and gets into his single bed, which is separated from his wife's single bed, a la I love Lucy. He asks if she's going to come to bed, and she says distractedly, I'm just going to take a bath first. We see her undress and admire herself in this full-length mirror, and there's a great close-up after she's she's turned off the water of, her painted toenails and as her toes enter the water uh, and she leans back in the bathtub and we see the clothes left carelessly across the floor. It's, it's all setting the stage of this is unusual. This is sensual. This is just, uh, I'm so excited about it. Um, And as she presumably touches herself for the first time where on a close up of her face as she lifts up her head and she says filled with revelation oh my goodness and she continues to pleasure herself intercut with uh, her husband in the other room kind of looking up like what's happening in there i don't know some something i don't understand and then goes back to bed As she pleasures herself with these gasping breaths and her eyes are roving around the room, she sees these beautiful spots of color. And it's part of the technical majesty of this movie that I am gonna talk about. But her chant of, oh my, oh my, oh my, grows in intensity with this sweeping score until it crescendos with the tree outside bursting into flame.
1: Just whole Burning Bush style.
0: Uh-huh. So what? what's your impression of the scene? I'm, I'm interested to know.
1: I think it's incredible. It's very, very well done right from the very beginning from the conversation with Reese. So they cut away from the, when two people love each other very much, and then when we cut back to them, it's to the table set with milk and cookies, which is just, mm-hmm. like, so innocent and so... <laughs> so cute and so family oriented and to go from there into this next sort of scene where she goes to touch herself is really funny Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then cutting between William H. Macy who like can't get comfy in bed alone and it's just kind of like what's going on in there that's Mm -hmm. hilarious but yeah really it is um the introduction of color and the strategic introduction of color which it's not like it's not like she just kind of starts seeing spots of color, but the things in the bathroom start having color. So first it's like the pattern on the wallpaper and then it's like the sort of the pieces of decor and just sort of like one by one the things take on their natural color, but it looks so vibrant against everything else in black and white.
0: Mhm. The cinematography in this movie is something else. It was incredibly innovative in how it approached post-production and really every step of the production was very well done. I understand. White had a sixty million dollar budget. I can't believe it doesn't have a higher budget, frankly. So the DP, uh, that's director of photography for everyone out there. <laughs> I got embarrassed. Unless by it's myself. what? <laughs> hey, stop! Stop! No, don't be dirty. Um, <laughs> the DP John Lindley was really this great force in the cinematography. He's actually. I saw this this guy, who was this d p in March of twenty twenty He was elected president of the International Cinematographers' Guild. Well, that tracks, yeah, I know he did a great job hes He has a quote here that I'm going to say in some movies. The visual effects supervisor is just the person who does stuff with the monster and tries to make it look real on other movies like Pleasantville, he or she can have an effect on contrast, brightness, and all of the things that the cinematographer normally controls. I was very lucky that Chris Watts, who was the visual effects supervisor, and his team were blessed with a creative aesthetic and respected my work. Uh, and I think this is really interesting because it's a way of saying like, all these different aspects of the post-production and the, and the production really came together to make this uh, work. So they shot this film on 35 millimeter film in color, knowing that it would be colorized to black and white. This hadn't really been done before. Normally, people like the colorists for this film were employed to add spots of color to previously black and white footage, not the other way around. So this technique was really different. They scanned like so much of this film. They they had, I think, 1,700 shots that had to be digitized and then sort of, you know, desaturated and recolorized. And oh, it, it's just an immense post-production marvel. And uh, it really works thematically. It's a great example of how production and post-production really serves the story. So yeah, this is, that's, I got so excited about how they made this film. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining it, but I get so excited about it.
1: That's all really interesting um, and very technical. That's, that's, I would not have guessed that that's the order that they did things in, Mm -hmm. But, but things do need to be colored and lit differently for them to look good in black and white versus color. So it's interesting that they would set everything and light it so that it would look good in black and white and shoot it in color. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and then in post change it. That's that's what my brain is trying to dance through right now. There are so many little things that are like, you know, for something to look the right shade of white or black or gray in a black and white t- TV, you know, or a black and white TV show or movie, they'd be like, you know, you need to use red so that it looks this color of gray kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So to be making those choices for it to only occasionally pop out is interesting.
0: Oh, it's fascinating, and I mean. And they had to do this knowing that some people in certain scenes would be appearing in color and some people in the same frame would be appearing in black and white. It's just incredible. I I read an entire like four page article about how they made this film. (laughs) Because it it was uh, mind boggling. And yeah. You know what,
1: Lauren, I show up here to just be horny about things. And here you are educating me like a dick.
0: (sighs) I know. But let's talk about being horny. Um, so aside from the beautiful technical mastery that is the entire prospect of going from black and white to color, I wanted to talk about discovering your body in the bathtub. (laughs) Because do you know the first time I got introduced to the idea of masturbation was from a throwaway joke on the George Lopez show. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Tell me more. It was the, the grandma on that show had a joke about how she doesn't, she doesn't need a man because she has a detachable shower head. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I had ever encountered the concept of masturbation.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, that is that's where you'd like watching it on Nick at night and at two in the morning as an 11 year old or
0: something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Correct. Exactly. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I have always sort of associated the bathtub with masturbation and like the shower with masturbation because of that early association. And actually one of the alternate scenes that I had thought to bring is one that involves uh, a woman just putting her, her pussy right under a running like faucet. <laughs> and it's very graphic though. It has a prosthetic apparently, although it doesn't look like a prosthetic. So who knows? But um, <laughs> what is I that? Didn't bring that? I didn't bring that. Uh, I don't actually remember what it's from. It's from one of these like indie lesbian films that came out in the mid knots. But yes. So I've always associated the bathtub with, sex and and masturbation. So I think it's really fitting for this to be the place where this woman discovers herself. In addition to that, it's really interesting to see an older woman explore masturbation.
1: It is. It's interesting and it's important. Um, I will say it's not particularly sexy being a person who's not really attracted to women. And then this woman being middle-aged but not only middle-aged but like styled very old-time style yeah, very
0: much yeah s-
1: styled in a way that's uh deeply unsexy as well somehow both like super innocent and super matronly and old is incredible mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but uh showing it on screen anyway i think is the part that's important because it's not like <laughs> who who do you have to impress and be sexy for when you're masturbating. That's the whole point of it is yeah. loving yourself and knowing yourself and being comfortable with yourself. So yeah. Because it it would not have that impact to have Reese Witherspoon do it. Because everyone right. wants exactly. to fuck Reese Witherspoon.
0: <laughs> yes. And they do in this film. Get it, girl. Get it, I know. Um, but uh it's interesting you mentioned that she's not sexy because I think there's an interesting distinction. Reese Witherspoon in this movie is sexy. Joan Allen in this movie is very sensual. She has a lot of scenes where there are these like soft physical intimacies that are not necessarily sexual. There's one, this was the scene that I remembered the most uh, strongly, where Tobey Maguire, her her TV son, is reapplying this gray makeup to her face. And he's just being very gentle and trying to make sure that she's gonna be safe. Because at this point in the in the film, to show the fact that she's uh, experiencing color would be dangerous for her.
1: Yeah, that's the one scene from this movie that I could recall off the top of my
0: head. Exactly, me too. And so that's a very interesting, like, sensual moment. Not sexual, sensual. And she's later used as an art model for uh, another person in the film who's played... Oh, who was who it? Uh, by... <laughs> who's played by Jeff Daniels (laughs) and she poses nude. And then her painting is displayed for the town. So she's not necessarily sexualized, but there are a lot of things about like, there's a power in the way that she's experiencing her body and she's experiencing the world coming alive.
1: I really appreciate the, escalating music the score that they use here is really funny so as yes. she as her as her pleasure escalates and the music gets louder and faster and more intense that's that's really great i like that it's all like a little funny just because mm-hmm. it's it, you know it's it's a little awkward and it's a little cute and it's a little backward and then um it goes from just sort of a little bit funny to like laugh out loud funny when the tree bursts into flames So Mm -hmm. I appreciate I appreciate that they give you like a like a hard, funny laugh out loud moment there.
0: Yeah. You know who you have to thank for that score? Who? Randy Newman. I don't know if I know who that is. Yes, you do. You know who Randy Newman is.
1: Okay, who's Randy Newman? (laughs) I'll look it up, I guess.
0: You know who Randy Newman is. He wrote, um, you've got a friend in me. For the Toy Story films?
1: Oh. Okay. I do
0: know that song. You know, <laughs> I cannot believe you're having such a muted reaction. It's Randy I... Newman. Sorry. <sighs> I'm okay. All right. He's, I mean, he also just, like, did make records. Like, he also was just a person who produced music. But okay. <laughs> anyway. He almost got the Oscar for this. I don't know if that's true. He was nominated for the Oscar for this. Closer than most people, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but I found the track on its own, and it's it's beautiful. It's a very slow build. Instruments are kind of introduced slowly, um, and eventually you get this kind of heavenly choir effect of, of people mm-hmm. just going like, ah, oh! mm-hmm.
1: the revelation. <laughs>
0: Yes. And it works so well. And I just think it's really, really well done. So let's get into the stop. I honestly, I I like it. It feels like the tone of this track really fits with that first orgasm feeling. That's
1: true, because I had spent uh when I had my first orgasm, I had spent a lot of time being like, I don't know, maybe I have. I don't know. Right, right. And, right, then, right, right. and then when it happens, you're like, oh. 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 No. oh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can become addicted to that feeling. I definitely <laughs> had a time. Um, but we don't have to talk about that.
1: About your masturbation addiction, are you sure?
0: Uh it, well. Maybe you're going to
1: save it for therapy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I think this is really good. It's not a sexy song, but I'm going to give it a four because I think it really fits the tone of the feeling of coming for the first time. Yeah, I agree. Time. It's a really quick little scene, especially from the bathtub, you know, to the fire. It's it's very quick and it's intercut with William H. Macy in the bed. So I don't know. It's not spectacular in terms of time, but it's got a nice buildup all the same. And the way that the shots of her looking around the room and seeing the birds and the colors popping to life is, is well interspersed in this whole scene. Um, but I'm going to give it a three.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would have wanted to spend any more time with a middle aged mother of two masturbating in the tub. You know what I mean? Like I'm happy for her and I think it's interesting, but it's not but it's not really something I'd wanna linger on and hang out there for a while in the way that I would hang out and watch Brian Kinney masturbate because I'm very sexually attracted to him. I don't have that feeling with this. So for me, the the more visually interesting part that I'd like to linger on are is the decor coming to color. That's Mm -hmm beautiful and i like that so i I think it's got good timing i think it does exactly what it needs to do and it's sort of yeah the the setup and payoff of the you know starting from milk and cookies and then a tree spontaneously combusts with the heat of it at the end i think that's funny yeah
0: i agree i think you said it best when you said uh it did what it needed to do this was a scene that was necessary for the progression of the film you know they just kind of had 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 to get it done so authenticity for one thing there's nothing explicitly shown so we don't know exactly what she's doing but we can imagine she's just touching herself with her hands and yeah she's seems to bring herself off pretty quick nothing really to say in terms of pros or cons i mean uh, what do you think
1: and say it's inauthentically quick for the first time (laughs)
0: You do usually need some more priming before you can get that quick. Another three. It's 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 not it's not terribly unrealistic. It's not terribly realistic.
1: You can go with your gut on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just a three. I don't care. I don't care really much about this this one. <laughs> this this category for it is not why I'm so interested in it. Um, authenticity heat. You said it, she is not meant to be sexy. There's nothing really sexy about this. Um, I think the, the shot of her admiring herself in the mirror is again very sensual. And the the toes dipping into the water, very sensual, but not hot, not sexy. It's a it's a it's a different emotion it's meant to evoke. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. But it doesn't turn me on. I'm just gonna give it a one, but I'm gonna make up for it in the next category. because I gave it a five for production value just because I looked into how much went into this production, and it's incredible to me. They, like, invented new softwares and new techniques for this film. This had never been done before on this, certainly not on this scale. And it's just kind of amazing that it just flopped and, and flew under the radar.
1: I mean, great movies do that a lot. Unfortunately, but
0: (laughs) also not that I'd call this a great movie because I think the plot is not very innovative. Again, if you are trying to make a film about oppression and you just don't even mention that your film is filled with white people, like, you know, but visually, I think it's got really stunning moments.
1: Yeah, um, it's definitely a really interesting movie and the production value. No question about it. Solid five.
0: Solid vibe. I mean, it just
1: kind of speaks to the time. That's something that Queer Spoke absolutely, absolutely, absolutely suffers from, too. There are mm-hmm. no main characters that are people of color. There's one recurring character, mm-hmm. and then sort of peppered among extras in the background. But it's a really, 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 really white show. And so even though it's sort of got good things to say, <laughs> it's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. it's telling and not showing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same with this. It's like, you have a good message. You're just, I don't know. You're lacking the perspective that diversity brings. It's not something that holds up well. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Before we, before we go into sort of our, our closing, I did want to mention some of the alternate scenes that I really considered strongly. Please do. They're not even necessarily honorable mentions. I just need to get them off my chest. (laughs) I already brought up Broad City. One of the other ones I thought of was Pen15. Did you see that show? I haven't seen that one, no.
1: I mean, I've seen a little bit of Pen15, but not whatever episode
0: you're talking about. (laughs) There is a montage where one character discovers masturbation and obsessively does it with the deadest look on her face it's really <laughs> hilarious it's really really funny and there was one scene that i actually didn't see the episode uh the show insecure okay i i watched all of season 1 i have a chronic problem of watching season 1 for a lot of shows and then not fin- like not continuing past that mm-hmm. so the episode that i i actually was considering was from season 2 where uh a sexually frustrated Issa Rae tries to masturbate and her vibrator powers down in the middle of it or breaks, I don't actually know. Oh no, we've all been there. We've all been there. (laughs) It's the like biggest tragedy of the modern era. So yeah, like those were some of the things I wanted to talk about. And they all have, you know, more, more people of color. Yeah. That was a big factor in like my considering of them.
1: Yeah. Well, it, I think it should be noted that the ladies in Broad City, though a little racially ambiguous looking, are actually just Jewish.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, you're right about that. I had forgotten I had mentioned that one. Um, I was thinking more about... Uh,
1: yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, um, I, I thought about uh, The Shape of Water, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. unfortunately not a movie I ever want to watch again, but does... <laughs> But does feature a female protagonist who masturbates regularly. I think like every morning sets herself a timer and climbs in the bath and makes an egg and jills off, which is nice.
0: (laughs) It's I agree. I like that. She she sets the little egg timer while her hard boiled egg uh, boils. And it's just it's really cute. That's a really cute little routine.
1: Well, Lauren, um, I think we had a super scientific survey this week.
0: I think we did. We double-teamed the super
1: scientific survey too, because <laughs> for the first time ever, I put the super scientific survey in our Instagram story and got response there yes. too.
0: Yes. Do you know how many responses you have there? I got Oh, I
1: got four responses!
0: Four! That's great! That's a great sample size!
1: That's great. A hundred percent of people. Oh, wait, I got to say the question first, right? <laughs> <laughs> so our question this week was, should there be more masturbation in film and TV? And the answers were, yes, it's validating in these thirsty times or no, save it for your shitty film school short <laughs> with, with the option of a fill in the blank in the traditional survey. Uh, on Instagram, mm-hmm. we got four responses. A hundred percent of respondents said, Yes, they want to see more. It's validating in these thirsty times.
0: Yes. And on the official questionnaire, we also got 100% response. Yes, it is validating. So yeah, people are still thirsty.
1: People are still thirsty. They're still suffering. Um, That's kind of boring uh, survey results because there's no (laughs) no quippy input. Everyone just likes masturbation. So
0: good to know. I mean, honestly, what did we expect? We asked people if they like masturbation and people said, yes, actually I do. No, we asked them if they like watching
1: masturbation. There's a difference.
0: (laughs) That's true. Although I guess the response didn't change. Nope. People enjoy it. People be horny. People be horny. So, yes, that brings us to the end of the episode, I believe. Here we are.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Let's Get It On Film. We'd love to hear from you. We have a website, Mm -hmm. let'sgetitonfilm.com, where you can find our
0: reviews of these scenes and sometimes the scenes if we can get our hands on them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They're sometimes on some sketchy porn sites, though, so be careful opening it at work. Mm -hmm. You make your own choices. We're not responsible
1: for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you can email us at info at let's get it on film.com. we are on twitter and instagram at let's get it on film you can check out our spotify playlist our
0: fuck jams mm-hmm. playlist
1: with music mm-hmm. from these super sexy films that we bring you you can mm-hmm. listen to us where you get your podcasts
0: yep oh and if the if the spirit moves you uh leave us a review on itunes i hear that helps Podcasts get noticed. So, yeah. Okay. What do we say? Anything else? We do. Well, oh we do. We do say the one thing. The one thing. The one thing. <gasps> Keep it pervy. Keep it pervy. From the society is bent upon the destroy- Some of a smart mom.